Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And welcome to episode number. Oh. <laughs> 143? Uh, okay, I'll buy that. Hold on, I'll pull it up. 144. <laughs> okay, welcome to episode 144. I'm only so prepared. Yeah, we're very excited to be here. And uh, thanks for taking the time to tune in. Today we're going to talk about um, a, a concept of what is a human mm. and what are the elements that make up a human being and how those elements integrate and play off each other for the formation of a person and how the prevailing intellectual world thought really for a long time now, but it's gaining massive speed is that there's no such thing as human nature, that all behavior, all humanness is a social construct and that there's no such thing as a proper human nature. Sure. And so we're going to kind of dismantle that <clears throat> with some help from our good friend Dallas Willard. Mm-hmm. And John's got some thoughts about this, some feelings. Uh, yeah. Well, in, by and large, I mean, it's just a, it's a talk about communicators and people who can get big ideas across really smoothly. Dallas Willard's about as good as it gets. He's so mom diggity. I'm a big fan of him. So yeah. my only... It's more questions than dissent, because yeah. it's hard to dissent against a genius. You know, you feel you That's automatically true. feel wrong, and he's dead, so you can't really, <laughs> you know, call him names. Yeah, or anything. but he can't respond, so that helps. That's true. Yeah, and um, I do want to say that we have a list of uh, listener episode requests, and I also want to try something. This was a, a suggestion from a listener. Oh yeah, is to do one entire episode called listener mail, mm. and so if you will, over the next you know week or two or three. Send us uh, listener mail questions, things that would not take an entire episode to discuss. Then we will have one entire episode just called listener mail. And we will we will rapid fire go through listener questions and ideas that don't take an entire episode. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I would love that. So way to go, listeners. Please, yeah. Go ahead and do our work for us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we get too deep into it, it is Joker story time. And I understand you have... Some jokes. I got a fistful of jokes, and <laughs> that tells you how good they are because I got a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. But let's just rapid fire this. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been making a lot of progress on my cloning experiments. I'm so excited I'm beside myself. Okay. Next. <laughs> uh, waiter, I'm at the restaurant. The waiter says, I see your glass is empty. Would you like another? And I said, why would I want two empty glasses? <laughs> mm-hmm. Why do why did the Mexican take anti anxiety medicine? I don't know to help his Hispanic attacks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the most effective way to remember your wife's birthday? Hmm. Forget it once. <laughs> Tomorrow, my son and I are going to get new glasses. After that, we'll see. Nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is my favorite and the last one. Vladimir Putin is on a road trip flying, you know, to another country. He's going through customs and the customs agent says occupation. And he says, no, just visiting. (laughs) That's the best one. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Well, thank you for more jokes. Okay. I'll give you one more that's on the bubble. Yeah. You could see the look in my eyes that I really, I wasn't satisfied. (laughs) (laughs) 
this old man and his wife are sitting in church, and she whispers to him, I just had one of those silent farts. What do I do? And he said, get new batteries for your hearing aid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's a good one. Good, good one to end on. I forgot my audience, my partner here. I had to tell jokes appropriate to the to the crowd. Yeah, here. yeah. Because you're right. Standing beside myself went right over my head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I'll quick start off with uh, basically this is chapter two of Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. Is where a book that we of, highly recommend. Yeah, where this uh, this came from, and again, his ability to take daunting subjects that you basically can just lose yourself in and break them down is really uh powerful so and i'm gonna play back and forth with you here and yeah sure basically butt in anytime i want to please um he is building a case for why spiritual formation is a reasonable use of time and um that spiritual formation would be the vehicle whereby one aligns all the components of being a human because it is the misalignment of these things that create anxiety, despair, depression, and all manner of trouble. And yeah. that a whole healthy person has the components of his humanness or her humanness aligned. Yeah. And this is the work of spiritual formation. So he says uh, every human, he does a lot of hyperbole, which is probably just a learned man thing to do. But it's something I almost never do. Oh. So normally I would balk at this, but I, you know, I, I walk through it and I scratch my head on it and... I can't think of many exceptions to this. So oh, okay. maybe this is something that every single human who ever lived has. These six things. Oh, I, I believe it. I, I, I buy it. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, so the first one he says is thought. And this is images, concepts, judgments, and inferences. And again, these are the six things that make up human nature. Six things that make up a human being and that combine together to, to be how we express, define, and perceive. Perceive and portray ourselves. Mm -hmm. how, we ex how we exercise agency. Yeah. And the first two, he says, are very, very linked where uh, uh, they influence each other. You never find one without the other. So first was thought. Second is feeling, which is sensation and emotion. So that's it. Now, can we go ahead and play with that idea for a second before mm -hmm. we go on through the list? Sure. That thoughts and feelings are inextricably connected. You had trouble with this, uh, this thought, but to me, it helps me a lot. So yeah. let me tell you why I like it. Please. And then you tell me uh, what you struggle with about it. And uh, footnote here, he... He redescribes spiritual formation as actually spiritual reformation, right? Which is an idea I've bought in for over a decade. We had a ministry in Denver we called reformation, because the truth is you're being formed from the minute you're conceived. You come out of that womb, you start experiencing people and things, and and so you're being formed uh, without conscious awareness. And so to connect yourself to God, to align all of your essential parts. Uh, requires reformation because they've right. been deformed or or conformed. So you're not starting from a blank slate. You exactly. have a whole lifetime of whatever. Yeah, and so therefore you have these thoughts. Some of them are conscious and some of them are subconscious. And his, his uh, belief is that your feelings are connected to your thoughts. And so there he would say to change your feelings, change your thoughts. And if you change the way you think about something, your feelings will in fact change. Yeah. What's your issue with this idea? So my issue is not at all the that they're connected or that these two belong on the list of the six things that make up human nature. After this list, he infers that both of these things are more uh, controllable than than we believe. Oh, I see. So he says uh, thought and feeling can both be controlled. 
and to to say that you can't control them is an excuse uh, to to be helpless around these things. So you don't believe that you can successfully control your feelings? No, not as not as easily. I think it's more uh, so they're connected, and thought is uh, you can put thought into word. Feeling is is less like that, you know. Like you you can't always explain why you feel something. So for me, he explains it. You can control your thoughts. You can control what you linger on, what you imagine, what you you know lay awake at night, kind of mm-hmm. thinking about, and what you spend your time on. And that does uh, lead to feelings. But I view it more like trickling down than I'm going to quit feeling this way. Yeah. My my big uh, yeah, but to the to the to that inference specifically was uh, uh depressive episodes you know mm-hmm. even someone without mm-hmm. chemical imbalance but if they're experiencing grief mm-hmm. uh or just overwhelming sadness or overwhelming anxiety mm-hmm. these are things that uh i think it's nearly offensive to say you can you can just stop well, feeling that way well grief is a great example and um you know he uh, I, not he but i've heard that anxiety it has to do with the future depression has to do with the past mm. And so that would feed the thoughts idea because you have anxiety about how you think about the future. Sure. And you have depression or despair on how you think about the past. When it comes to grief, I've heard people say who have lost a child, Mm. you know, someone who loses a child talks to someone who lost a child 10 years ago and they say, when will I get over this? And the answer is never. Mm. So it doesn't matter how you think about that. You can't think about that in a way that will take that grief away. What you'll learn to do is live with your grief. But the only way to live with your grief is to have some constructive, hopeful thoughts that help you move forward. So <clears throat> I tend to think that um, that feelings have to respond. I mean, uh, think thoughts have to respond to feelings and govern over them. But feelings happen. They they happen. Sure. And you don't realize what you're thinking. The maybe an erroneous thought that is feeding that feeling until you do some investigation. Yeah. All right, so let's move on. We got sure. thoughts and feelings. Those are two of the six components of human nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, three is choice, which is will, decision, and character. Four is body, physical body, which includes action, interaction uh, with the physical world. So it's the actual, it's the part of you that is seen that actually can, you know, pick up things. And does that include the appetites of the body, the the urges, and all that, or is that something? Is that more mm-hmm. choice and will? That would probably be more feeling and choice body i think is very tangible it's so it's it's often to do like how we described the inner life uh the inner life the body is the uh the apparatus that goes between the inner and the inner life and the world and and reality yeah. and it is the vehicle i carry around it's the yeah. vehicle i engage the world with yeah so i think with uh but it well, does have in it has impact on my nature but I think he would include the urges and things like that as part of the inner life, as part of the mind. Okay. Uh, and even though the mind, the brain, the physical brain, I think he doesn't include that in body. But that would be that's an interesting, interesting question. Yeah. That's just my read on it. Yeah. As far as he's talking about. It. Okay. So just to so I can keep track with you here because I don't have yeah. a list in front of me. No, you're good. Thoughts, feelings, choice, or the will. Mm-hmm. Uh, then body. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number five is social context, which is uh, personal and structural relationships to others. Okay. And again, this is interesting that it's not the body doesn't necessarily include that, but it's, um, I guess, the part of you that goes to other people, like outside of the inner life. Yeah, I would say that um, the social part is non tangible. 
Mm. It's not just that I'm physically with you, but it's how I feel about you and how this connection with you brings me life or brings me heartache or brings me whatever, how I feel accepted or rejected. So the whole social side is the loves, wins, losses, and pains of social context. Yeah. So if you could align, like there are, there are needs in this list that you can meet by yourself and then there are needs that you can't. So, Mm. so, and, and things that you can fulfill within yourself and things that you can't, things that you can only fulfill relationally and. Does that, does that make sense? I, I think so. And if a man is in the, if a tree's in the woods and no, it falls and nobody's there to hear it, doesn't make a sound. If you're a human being, but you have no social context, does it matter? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and then finally, and this is kind of a, uh, a catch all or kind of like a, a, a smush of all of them. I don't know. Amalgamation <laughs> is the soul. And it's the factor that integrates all of the above to form one life. And the soul is the eternal part of you. Yeah. And the soul is what God is. Mm-hmm. The soul is, uh, the soul in my um, thinking about this is quiet. It is, it can be wounded. Um, it does not, it does not stomp its feet and demand attention. It can be betrayed, hurt. Uh, but it is your will, your spirit, your mind, uh, your body that will do a lot of reacting, your feelings, uh, while the soul uh, quietly really calibrates and governs, I would say everything. You yeah. Think, right? you, what do you think of that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's interesting. So elsewhere, he says that the, uh, soul or the spirit is, uh, three parts, your, uh, your will, your, I thought that it's interesting because, uh, he tends to think that your heart, your spirit and your will, would that be right? Or your mind? that they you have the same term for them that yeah that they are that use those terms are pretty well interchangeable or that they're he explains them as three facets of the same thing so the will is the decisive part of your soul uh the the heart is that deeper uh self-sustaining apart from your uh, apart from your body part mm-hmm. that's a, a part of the soul apart and from that's your body. like the, the heart of the matter it's the core it's the center yeah. and so we use that phrase well that, let's get to the heart of the matter yeah so the heart of you is is while it's not your pumping organ in your chest it is the core of you it is it is there at the center but in this context he says it's a he doesn't say that these five things make up entirely the soul but he says the soul is is integration of the five yeah so because how do you how your do you soul's eternal that? well um what he's going to get to is a chain of command. Mm. And so the life of the flesh, the life um, not submitted to God, the life without spiritual reformation is really controlled by the body. And the body rules over the mind, which will justify what the body craves, Sure, which then rules over the will. You make decisions based on what you feel and crave and rationalize. And then that is ruling over your, your spirit or your soul. And your soul then, uh, all of that's ruling over God. Yeah. And to live a new life, a transformed life, God governs, and he governs first at the soul level. The soul then governs over the spirit, which governs over the mind, which governs over the will, which governs over the body. So it's just a complete reversal of the Yes, and so the body goes from being king, the appetites, the drives, to being servant of all. Yeah. And uh, what a lot of Christians do when they accept Christ is they just try to live a body centered life mm-hmm. better 
well, now I have Jesus in my heart. I'm going to try harder to do this <laughs> order, just do it well. Yeah. And it can't be done well. You have to reverse the order and let God rule through your soul and calibrate everything to that. Aligning, he, he likes the word alignment. I think I do too. That all of these have to be aligned. And truly, when a person is in conflict, um, it is because some of these things are not aligning. Sure. I'm having feelings that don't align with my thoughts, that don't align with my beliefs and um, intellect, that don't align with my soul, and I'm in a, I'm a mess. Yeah. And this is, so the word he describes for them being in total alignment. So if you view them as six dots on a grid and then there's a vertical line, mm-hmm. if they are all lined up like that, that is health. He uses uh, spiritual health, a healthy yeah. soul. Yeah. Uh, and if they aren't, and I think, you know, when we talked about the inner life, and the inner dialogue and this constant, uh, self-deprecating inner mm-hmm, dialogue mm-hmm. thing and how arguing torturous with that yourself, is. arguing yeah. with others in your mind, there's a conversation going on pretty much all the time. Yeah. And how hellish that can be when those are out of sync. That is the disalignment. The one, the ones that are most uh, tangible to me are the ones that I, that I can immediately identify how that feels is will and thoughts or will and feelings or you know uh it's this uh uh wretched man that i am why can't i do the things i want to do why do i keep doing the things i don't want to do right that is i think for me that is the disalignment of the will with the other mm-hmm. the belief systems mm-hmm. there's a there's a um what do you call it when you're navigating a boat uh, is that navigation? Navigation makes there's sense a, to me. Yeah, I think <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a navigation idea that um, as boats are coming into a port, and this isn't certainly all ports, but some sure that there are uh, lights on a post out into the water, mm-hmm. and if you can see more than one light, then you're not lined up for the port. Oh, if you only see one light, it's because the others are behind that. They're all lined up, yeah. and now you're aligned and you and you're safe. If you see more than one light, you might hit a sandbar or rocks. You need to see only one light. And I, I kind of picture that in my head as he talks about alignment of these things. There's one aligning thing, and this is where the, the supremacy of Christ, the rulership of God, uh, that we that we calibrate from that. And then these, these parts of us need to each be ruled over, submitted to uh, the lordship of Jesus. Yeah. So, again, for – how much I love this book. The one of the other uh, dissenting, the, the question that I had was in this particular part, and in chapter one, he talked all about uh, basically the, the mindset of this that I agree with. Here, it seemed to me like he might be suggesting that you uh, analyze these six, right, and then you uh, change them by the will, and that's that's when I. Well, that was what was interesting to me because in chapter one, he says you cannot change these things by the will, uh, even if you have a complete accurate assessment of a godly assessment of yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't just, you know, if you're a humanist, if you're an atheist, you can't just make yourself the the perfect you. You know, you can't just al- right. forcefully align your six. And then here, I thought the so what was so align the six. Uh, does that make sense? Kind of, except you've gone to six now. I thought you started at five. Is there five or six, and this is just me? No, there's the, the six of the the six proponents of human nature. Oh, okay. Components of human nature. Okay, so we want to point out this is just chapter two, yeah, of a long true. book. So <laughs> this isn't the entire book. This is this is setting up the framework, and I think the argument is that if you think 
that all human behavior, all sense of humanness, what it is to be a good human, um, how we decide right and wrong, if you think all of that is just social construct, then you don't understand the complexities of a human being. Mm. And if you do understand the complexities of the human being, you start recognizing all that is at play in what makes me me. And then that what's at play that makes me me needs to be governed and aligned or else I am in turmoil. Sure. So what I like about this is not that I can control them all with my will. I don't think that's the the driving thing. It's that I can observe them all and I can see alignment or misalignment. And then my will needs to exercise itself in some way to take an action. We'll talk about what that action is in just a minute. So we'll be right back with a show and tell. And we're going to tell you how the will uh, is the key, but how it's the key to moving forward. Awesome. We'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash Jim and John. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're really grateful to our patrons, grateful to everyone who listens, and we're grateful for you. So, uh, John, it's uh, show and tell time. What do you got for us? I've got uh, another album, as is my as I want to do. <laughs> you are stuck on music. I am stuck on you. That's another song. That's not the, on the album that I'll be talking okay. about. <laughs> uh, maybe you could pivot at some point to movies or, you know. Uh, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe. I don't know. All right. Who knows? What do you got? I've got. Uh, a, I do love. I've been learning a lot from all of your music recommendations. Some of them I like. Some of them I don't. But it is expanding my repertoire. Yeah. I'm getting a broader eclectic understanding of music itself so i'm I'm grateful for that well good i i'm i'm glad uh <laughs> i hope you there are other sources too because my whatever feed of music i'm seeing i'm sending to you is probably very uh it's not uh, uh it's singular. not biopic it's not okay. <clears throat> okay. i think it's pretty broad well this is a genre shift i've been doing uh, a lot of jazz this is uh along more of the country Ooh, uh acoustic now guitar you're, now you're sing- now you're in my alley you say that and I thought well, initially when I got into this music, I was like, "Oh, Dad's gonna oh you're going to go Johnny Cash." I'm no, not Johnny Cash. Though I okay. love him. I was thinking about that. The other, the one album I have done of his is my favorite. So I, yeah. I it's hard for me to think of other ones that I would want. Yeah. Uh, but this is Southbound by Doc Watson, hmm. and uh, Doc Watson is uh, in the running of the greatest guitarists of all time. His is uh, just acoustic, just acoustic finger picking, hmm. you know, Mississippi blues kind of stuff, and uh, uh, Southbound. I don't actually, you know, oftentimes I'll have some kind of history or some kind of whatever about these people. I don't know anything about Doc Watson. Really? I just know he's very good at guitar. What years? Uh, is he alive now? No, no. He was active in like the 60s, 50s okay. through 60s. Okay. Uh, 
and uh, he just sings and plays guitar. And all the Dog Watson songs I've heard, he has no band. Just There's no guitar. band. It's him and guitar. Yeah. And, wow. uh, and the fact that you don't even hardly notice is incredible. He's really, really, really good. Uh, I first, the first he ever... He not have to share the money with anybody. <laughs> that too. <laughs> uh, first ever songs I heard from him were actually my brother Tim playing guitar. He would play... Uh, I think Dip, Deep River Blues, which actually is not on this album, but it's a, well, it's another one of his great songs. And he would play it, and I didn't know. He had mentioned Doc Watson at some point, and, uh, but I didn't know that song was one until I'm listening to Doc Watson years later, like a decade later, and I go, this is a song Tim was always playing on his guitar. Mm. And uh, so that was a cool thing. So I, I always think of my brother when I listen to Doc Watson, but he's also just uh, phenomenal. Uh, it's interesting how... So I talked about uh, Gary Davis, the blind Reverend Gary Davis, the mm-hmm. Harlem street singer. Mm-hmm. He is, uh, he's got what I would call more character than Doc Watson. He's got that voice. He's shouting. His guitar is a little messy, but he's just, just a dynamo. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I pr- probably, if I had to pick, I would say I prefer Gary Davis, but it really is so different because of how classical Doc Watson is. He sounds classical. He plays classical. He's just, uh, he's very, very clean, uh, but phenomenal. Uh, so that's Southbound. Uh, as always, I'll tell you normally yeah, which which tune do we listen to so we can accept or veto with one song. Uh, I really like honestly just start with the first track and then you're like, uh, no, then you're going to look around. <laughs> uh, try Southbound, the title track. It's uh, uh, the fifth or sixth track on the album. Uh, so listen to the first one first. And if you like it, just keep going. But if not, skip to Southbound. And if you don't like that, go ahead and bail. And uh, I'll play you some after this. I'm interested to hear what you think of it. Okay. Now, it's interesting, uh, back into our conversation about the human self. Sure. You mentioned Doc Watson, didn't know much about him. You, you, Your brother played this song. You didn't realize it till a decade later. You heard the song. You're like, that's my brother. It made me think of my brother. It's interesting how all the different parts of the self are at play, even in this conversation. So you have uh, a, a thought pattern. You have, um, you have uh, your brother. Your body responds to sure. uh, being to being attracted to this music. You have a social construct of love for your brother, and it gave you a serendipitous feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had a bad relationship with your brother, it might have had a totally different effect. Oh, sure. And so, how how all these things about us are at play constantly, and um, the I think the modern idea is that I'm just a passenger on this ship that is floating around on the sea. And wherever it takes me, yeah. that's where it takes me. Yeah. So whatever my urges are, whatever I think uh, is good or bad, whatever I think is true or false, it doesn't matter because it's good because I think it. Yeah. I feel, therefore I am. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. And we'd argue, the world would argue, there are no legitimate or um, appropriate or should be indoctrinated ideas yeah. about what a human is. Yeah, and uh, and that is, you know, Dallas Willard is, is pretty blatant about how he feels about this and how it's kind of a, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense or it's kind of a uh, arrogant in regard to the wisdom of the past. So mm-hmm. it's like, I know humans have been thinking for thousands of years, but I think we finally got it figured out. I think they yeah. were wrong when we got yeah. it. And it's this uh, this release of, it releases you from any kind of, uh, supposed boundaries or duties or uh, do let it. yourself go and be really true to you. Yeah. 
And somehow that means you can ignore archaeology and philosophy and theology and all these studies and sciences and uh, and art that have yeah. been expressed and wrestled with for thousands of years. You don't need to pay any attention to that. Well, and to me, so this is, you know, we talked uh, recently in a staff chapel, actually, we were talking about the validating of feelings. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think this is that disruption we talked about where there's that alignment. And you don't have the alignment and you're in pain because of it. There's, there's, mm-hmm. uh, there's havoc being wrought because of it. One of the ways to relieve the pain is to, uh, so say it's, it's again, it's in feeling and perceived good or perceived mm-hmm. morals. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ways to relieve that pain is to let go of the perceived morals to say my feelings actually do trump that. And yes. I'm going to, I'm giving to, in, I'm giving in, I'm going to let go of the, I'm going to release the tension. I was not designed to be. Um, monogamous, mm-hmm. and that's a construct I'm not going to submit myself to anymore because it's not in me to do it. Yeah, because they maybe they keep failing at it. Mm-hmm. Or, so the pain is legitimate. Mm-hmm. The pain is terrible. Right. And so it's a it's in a way a very um, understandable or inevitable mm-hmm. kind of conclusion that eventually people would start drawing uh, because of that tension. Yeah. And so and that again goes back to whether or not the will can align your six aspects and if it can't then what are you supposed to do with all that pain yeah so let's cut to the, really the chase of your one pushback so far yeah in this conversation is can i really count on my will to pull this off yeah because it seems like a monumental task and uh my and did i nail that is that yeah what? well and well and just because our recent journey at least all through 2021 or the latter half of this abiding uh uh, obsession, this complete yes. buying into the abiding power of Jesus and that the only growth is an abiding. And so, and, and in, again, in chapter one, and, and we're talking about the whole book from just the first two chapters right. uh, in chapter one, it was all about that. And so then it's, it's just, it's almost like a, if, if we can't fix it without abiding, if we can't fix it without Jesus, then why, what is the point of knowing the six aspects, I guess? Well, and I would say, what's the, what's the power of not knowing them? Mm. So being ignorant, is, is ignorance powerful? Yeah. And it rarely is. And so um, one of the things I was just popped in my head while you were talking is um, how mysterious and complex all of this actually is. For example, if a baby is born and everything goes well and they wrap that baby up and they put her, put him or her in mama's arms, all kinds of synapses start to fire in the brain. And this development of the brain takes place in a healthy, um, normal pace. And connections happen. If that child has to be incubated or have surgeries and is not held by a human being Mm -hmm. till it's a month old, two months old, three months old, there's actually a mappable, discoverable difference in brain development. Really? Yes. The same is true for pornography. When a person uses pornography... Um, some chemicals are created in the brain hmm. and the addiction is not to the, the pornography. The addiction is to the chemical action in the brain. It's adrenaline, I think, isn't it? Or, I don't know what it is. I don't think it is. I think it, I think it's something else, but dopamine or <clears throat> I'm not sure. But the point is we don't even recognize that our body is in fact responding in real time in lots of situations. Yeah. When you start to have your adrenaline accelerate, when you're having a conversation that's starting to get tense your body starts reacting. 
preparing itself for fight or flight. Sure. Blood flow flows to different parts of the body. Uh, lots of things begin to happen. And actually, it leaves your brain, which makes operating uh, rationally in a conflict very <laughs> difficult. Yeah. So there's so much interplay there. So I would I would agree with you. Wow, how does my will trump all that chaos and get to the matter? And truly, I think you're right. What my will must do is drag my confused, complicated self into the presence of Jesus. Mm. And what my will must do is say, stay here. But it must go further than that because it must also allow the love of Jesus to comfort me, which affects my feelings. Hmm. It, I need to allow the truth of God to shape my thinking, which also changes my feelings. I need to allow the authority of God to rule over my flesh so that I do, so I do say to my body, you are my slave. I am not your slave. Sure. And so these things start to happen, but the core deal is to be in the presence, abiding in Jesus, and asking him to exert his will in me. And so I submit myself to his power, to his will, so that he can, because I can't. You know, yeah. my, my will is not strong enough. For sure. I had this thought when I was reading this, because again, it was it was a... Uh, a logical or a helpful dissection. And then we have the mysterious kind of miraculous mm-hmm. abiding power. And I had this thought, what if you did uh, every year for the rest of your life, uh, you just continue with your uh, normal prayer reading abiding thing, but you had uh, thematically for, I guess it would be close to uh, what is that? Eight weeks apiece mm-hmm. or more. You would do eight weeks per one of the six. Oh, I see. So, so eight weeks on the body. Uh-huh. And then eight weeks on thought, eight weeks on feeling, eight weeks on the will. And you and you kind of pray and journal of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you kind of, so you're in a continual process of aligning yourself throughout every year. This was just, I was I was thinking, I wonder if that holds any water. I, I, That's an interesting idea. We should explore, explore that here. Yeah, a little yeah. further. It's interesting, too, that the soul, and this is my last thing for this episode, the soul, you see biblical authors Talk to their soul, almost in third person. Mm, For sure. Why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Rest in God, for he is your, you know. And so you speak to your soul because that that is the heart of the matter. That is is the deepest me. And when there's misalignment, typically it's because this soul is misaligned. This is why people who don't believe they think, who don't think they believe in God, who might be an atheist, who might say, oh, there are no morals, why are they struggling with shame or guilt? Because the soul knows. I believe the soul has DNA from the Garden of Eden in it. And so it has a soul memory of what things are supposed to be like. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Well, and if, again, yeah, if the soul is is timeless and and apart from your body, then, yeah, it would be, uh, it would would know that in this time and place, something is amiss. Something's right. Something's up. Yeah. And I think the soul is designed by God to know that. that, Yeah. And that's where things like, now I'm getting really slippery slope here. That's where things like deja vu or um, ESP, these kind of things. I think this is when the soul steps into out of its normal boundaries because it does have such a deep and profound connection truly to all of existence and all the way back to the garden. That's some matrix stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a step too far. Uh, I don't I mean, this might not be practical information, but it's interesting to understanding the nature of it, I think, of, yeah. of the soul, I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, my big 
thing, chapter one of this book, Renovation of the Heart, which again, big recommend. Mm-hmm. None of my pushbacks here at all are. Uh, sure. I'm, I'm in love with this so far. But he talks about in chapter one, the depths of the water of the heart and just kind of this mysterious, you can, you know, again, again, biblical authors constantly talking about the unknowable mm-hmm. nature of the human mm-hmm. heart. You're just looking into a murky pond mm-hmm. and things float to the top. And you don't know where they come from or yeah. why they're coming up. Right. And so uh, I kind of, my question about why this is, why this information is pertinent was more devil's advocate than anything, because obviously ignorance is worth nothing. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and recently I've learned more and more the importance of knowing how things work. Even just things like uh, uh, a car noise. You understand how part of the car works. You think, I think I might know what that is mm-hmm. or something like that, as opposed to just just a mystery right you know so knowing this hopefully puts you a step closer to knowing what's going on in the depths of those dark waters and that leads me to what i would say would be my recommendation of a first step if this is all kind of new to you Mm. and the first step would be mindfulness self-awareness suddenly when you feel intimidated in an environment to pause and say why do i feel intimidated sure and start to actually try to answer that question why do i feel intimidated right now when you feel sad and you don't know why, you got out of bed on the wrong side of the bed. People say that. Yeah. What's gone? What's actually going on here? What is it that I do feel, and why do I feel it? So that self awareness really is the first step. I think. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, for listening. You can reach us at uh, via email at info at jimandjohn dot com. No H in the John. Or you can find us on Instagram at Jim and John. And if you DM us there or comment on our weekly post, we'd love to hear from you. And again, we would love to do a listener question and answer uh, episode. Listener mail. And we can only do that with mail. So please yep. uh, send some in anything, anything. You want to hear about yeah. aliens? We'll talk about aliens. Yeah, we do have a list going so far. Some of them need to be entire episodes. So we have a list started, but keep them coming because we need more. And yeah. we'll take an entire episode just to go through a rapid fire of listener mail. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you next week. Thank you.